Hi there, and welcome to Health Now. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. This weekly podcast covers all things health, your body, your brain, and your well-being. Each week, we'll be joined by doctors, as well as the occasional guest, to talk about the health topics that mean the most to you. This week, coffee and cancer. We'll dig into the latest controversy over your morning cup of joe. Then, a little inspiration that might just motivate you to start moving more. And we've got a simple trick to help you finish those projects you've been putting off. And later, if you're gearing up for some spring cleaning, we'll talk about what you should know about how some cleaning products may affect your health. Finally, our tweak of the week is good for you and for someone you care about. Stay with us. Okay, stop me if you've heard this before. Coffee is bad for you, unless it's good for you. We hear opposite news on this all the time, and the latest headlines about this are coming out of California. That's where a judge has ruled that coffee shops must now warn customers that coffee could expose them to a potential cancer risk. This is all because of a chemical called acrylamide. It's something that's created when coffee beans are roasted. And some studies have also linked it to cancer in rats. Now, cancer and nutrition experts are pushing back on this. They say that scientists have actually studied acrylamide in humans and haven't found any link to cancer. And a lot of that seems to have to do with the amount of the chemical you would get in a cup of coffee. Experts say it's far lower than anything a lab rat would get in a scientific study. And also, there's actually a lot of evidence that coffee can have real benefits for most people. Studies have found that it lowers the risk of heart disease and type 2 diabetes, and actually it lowers the risk of many types of cancer. So, legal battles aside, the consensus seems to be that it's still safe to drink a reasonable amount of coffee, which is about three to four cups a day for most people. Pregnant women, though, should be careful not to get too much, and that's because of the caffeine. Experts say that pregnant women should keep their caffeine intake to about 200 milligrams a day or less, which is about the amount that you would get in one and a half cups of coffee. Go ahead and enjoy that cup of coffee. Just go easy on the cream and sugar. Now, for anybody who doesn't have a regular workout routine, and that's a lot of people, we have good news. A recent study shows that even if you don't start exercising until middle age, it can still make your heart healthier and protect it as you get older. So this was one study where researchers tracked 53 mostly sedentary people who were between ages 45 and 64 for about two years. One group of them started doing non-aerobic exercise, so basic yoga, lifting weights, and balance training three times a week. The other group did moderate to high intensity aerobic exercise for four more days per week. And after the study was over, The exercisers who did the more intense workouts saw big improvements in their heart health. Their hearts were less stiff and they used oxygen more efficiently. We're going to go through these findings and what they mean for your average non-exerciser with our chief medical editor, Dr. Michael Smith. Hey, Dr. Smith. Hey, Hey there. First of all, what kinds of exercise would you have to do to improve your heart health like this and for how long would you have to do them? Right. So in this study, they specifically looked at people who were at a moderate to high intensity of exercise. Specifically what they actually looked at is people who were doing what we call high intensity interval training. They exercise 
like 95% maximal ability for four minutes, active rest for three minutes, like walking, and then repeat that four times. So it's really an intense level of exercise, but not something you're going to do on day one, right? It's something you could work up to. But it does show us in order to get this benefit where our hearts become more flexible, better able to fill with blood and pump all the nutrients that our body needs, you do apparently need to exercise pretty intensely because they basically saw no effect on the heart for those people in the low intensity, kind of that yoga group. Gotcha, I see. So is that all that surprising or is it surprising that you can go from pretty much being sedentary to having a pretty improved heart health after a few weeks? What we didn't know, um, or we did not have a lot of evidence to say is kind of how late is too late. So in this case, it looks like you really can teach an old heart new tricks is that even in your 50s and 60s, if you start a, uh, an exercise program and work up into an intense exercise program, you essentially will turn back the hands of time and that your heart will appear more like someone in their 30s. So very flexible heart, very efficient heart, functioning very well and significantly decrease the chances of you developing something like heart failure. But even if you don't develop heart failure, you're just going to be able to perform at a higher level and do the things that you want to do. And that's really what it's all about. As we get older, we tend to not do things because we can't do them any longer. With a healthier heart, you'll be able to do those much more efficiently for a long period of time. And that is good news because I think a lot of people would think like, oh, I haven't exercised in years, you know, that ship has sailed. Absolutely. Um, and even though other studies have shown that maybe if you start in your 70s, you might not reap these same rewards as far as your heart. There's no question that it doesn't matter what age you start exercising, there are going to be great rewards from that. I mean, really, exercise is medicine. There's nothing that can produce the same beneficial effects on your health as exercise can. There is no pill that's ever gonna do that. Absolutely, so even if you get started later, you're probably gonna be able to see at least some benefit that will make you feel a little better and a little healthier no as you question. get older. Stronger muscles, stronger bones. Balance. It, and balance, right? I mean, better brain health. You're gonna reap a lot of rewards from it. Whether or not it will make your heart more flexible and less stiff, maybe not if you start really later in life, but you know, 50s and 60s, absolutely go for it. Something is better than nothing always, <laughs> exactly. for sure. Someone who's listening to this who maybe we've inspired them to start exercising, which would be great. Um, what suggestions or tips would you have for somebody who's middle-aged and wanting to get back to mm -hmm. a, or get into a regular workout routine? Well, you know, you often hear that you should exercise 30 minutes a day, five days a week. Well, if your exercise consists of sitting on the couch right now, that's just crazy to think about someone just tomorrow starting to exercise 30 minutes. Yeah, that's a so, big leap. Honestly, exercise for one minute. I don't care. You're doing more today than you did yesterday. Next day you can do two minutes and slowly work up. Find something you enjoy. Just know that every day you might not be feeling it. Do it anyway because the rewards of exercise are so great and that honestly you will feel better after you exercise and you'll feel better for years to come. So just start building the habit and just keep looking forward. If you're not feeling like it, just try to really push yourself and make it happen. Eventually it'll become much more of a habit rather than you know something you feel like you're having to struggle to do. Exactly, and we're not even talking about 
you know, signing up for a gym membership and yep. pounding, out, pounding it out on the treadmill, what are some of the things that people could start from zero with, basically? Yeah. I would say start with walking, hmm. right? Everybody can do that. Absolutely. And walk longer each day, amp up the intensity little by little. Eventually, you do want to work up towards a nice, brisk walk where you are breathing harder. Your heart is getting, you know, beating faster. And in order to reap the rewards of what we're talking about here, this more flexible kind of heart, just know that you do got to work up towards maybe that 95% of maximal ability. But your 95% point today is obviously very different than it'll be three months from now when you're much more fit. And that's why you can still start at a lower level and still reap a lot of rewards from that. Just kind of build up to it, for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. It can be walking, swimming, dancing. I mean, really, honestly, even intense gardening around your house can be a really good form of exercise. <laughs> That's very true. That can yeah. get kind of intense. <laughs> yeah. Whatever's getting you breathing harder and getting your um, heart beating faster. Now, one thing we do need to keep in mind is that we're talking about, you know, middle-aged people. So if you're a man over 45, a woman over 55, it's a good idea to check in with your doctor before starting a new exercise routine. Or if you have any medical conditions like diabetes, heart or lung problems, anything that you might have questions about, check in with your doctor, get the okay, and then you know, start hitting the pavement. Sounds good. I'm ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> Some great advice there from Dr. Smith. Thanks to him for that. Obviously, exercise is great for your heart, but there are a lot of other things you can do to keep it going strong, too. Your diet makes a big difference, of course. Fruits and vegetables have antioxidants that may help your heart. Fish like salmon and tuna have heart-healthy fats, and so do unsalted nuts. But they also have a lot of calories, so just watch your serving size. A small handful of nuts a few times a week should be all you need. Along with exercise and your healthy diet, protect your heart by getting enough sleep, managing stress, and if you smoke, quitting. What about some other habits that make a difference? Here's a surprising one. Have sex. Seriously. People who do it a couple of times a week are less likely to have heart disease. Also important, get your flu shot. Studies show it seems to protect against heart disease, but it's not clear exactly how. It may be that the flu can damage your heart, so if you get your flu shot, you're less likely to get the flu. And of course, get regular checkups so your doctor can be sure your heart is healthy. Let's talk about this really interesting story that the New York Times ran about micro goals. So we all have things that we want to do better, right? Whether it's starting to exercise or getting your closet organized, but how do you actually accomplish those goals once you've set them for yourself? It turns out that the key may be in just getting started. Researchers have found that breaking up a big task into tiny little parts can not only help jumpstart your task, but it can actually reward your brain so that you feel like you wanna keep going towards your eventual goal. And the reason for that is a brain chemical called dopamine. Checking off even a small step from your to-do list releases dopamine, which rewards your brain. So instead of saying, I have to write that report, Set micro goals that you actually can achieve. So, for example, turn on the computer, check. Open the document, check. Write two sentences, and so on. So see if you can apply this to one of your goals, whether it's a big one or a small one, and finally get it going. If you're getting busy with spring cleaning, you wanna choose the right products for the job, obviously. What's best, and also what's safe? 
One study of more than 6,000 people in Western Europe actually took a look at this. They studied both men and women, and they found that women who used sprays or other cleaning products at least once a week had a decline in their lung function over 20 years. And for the women who actually worked professionally as cleaners, the decline was worse. It was only somewhat less than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day for 20 years, which is pretty dramatic. How worried should we really be about this? Let's hear more about this from our medical editor, Dr. Neha Pathak. Hi, Dr. Pathak. Hi, Carrie. Obviously, we're just talking about one study here, but how much do we really know about how cleaning products affect health? So we actually do know quite a bit about cleaning products and that they often include harmful chemicals that have been shown to have effects on lungs, skin, eyes, can worsen allergies, can lead to flare-ups of asthma and COPD. So we actually do know that these products do have these harmful chemicals. And even products that are labeled as green or natural can sometimes include these chemicals that can be harmful. Wow. Let's just say you're not using these chemicals every day. Let's say you're probably like me, cleaning your home, you know, not quite as frequently as maybe some of the folks in this study were if you're a professional cleaner. So if you're only using them occasionally, would you worry then about the impacts on health? So what we do know is really traditionally when you are using it in that setting, people are having these symptoms. So the flare-ups that are happening are happening at that time of use in the asthma, in the COPD, being exposed to the fumes. Um, the contact reactions happen at the time of exposure. What's interesting about studies like the one that we were talking about up top is that this is showing that even if you feel fine at the time that you're cleaning, there may be some long-term effects that are happening slowly that we didn't even really realize were happening. Very interesting. Obviously, that is a, a concern. But on the other hand, if you're using more kinds of natural cleaners or so-called natural, I'm talking about things like baking soda, white vinegar, dish soap, do those things really do the same kind of job? Let's say you're, you know, you've been sick with the stomach flu for a week and you want to clean your house or you've been cooking with raw meat in your kitchen. Will those kinds of products really do the same job as these more chemical cleaners? That is a great question. So, you know, for the most part, soap and water is a pretty good way of doing your regular cleaning. But you are absolutely right to be concerned when there are illnesses in the house like flu or stomach um, bugs going around, staph bacteria, that is around. Um, we know that soap and water is probably not going to do the trick in that setting. Right. Um, you wouldn't want to go to a hospital that cleaned with soap and water, probably. You are absolutely right. Um, so I think in that setting, really, there are products like bleach that um, do get a lot of the bacteria, the flu virus, and um, cold viruses, um, and they're hardier compared to just the soap and the water. But you, again, you have to be aware that these do have health consequences, so you wanna use them in the safest way that you possibly can. Okay, that makes sense. So the solution is not just to not clean my house. That's, I'm sorry. That's a bummer. <laughs> it's to be safe. So, you know, that's we okay. can think, <laughs> So we can think about some ways to do that, which are really when you're using these kinds of products, 
Um, make sure the area is very well ventilated. Make sure windows are open, doors are open, and try not to be doing these things in a small enclosed space. You also, before you buy the product, you want to, because we do know that some of these chemicals are harmful, you will see on the back certain warnings about those chemicals. So be aware and look for products that have a lower amount of these harmful chemicals that don't have irritants or flammable ingredients. Okay, that's good to know. Um, are there any particular ingredients that people should be aware of or how can you know what kind of cleaning products are safest to use? Sure, so there is a designation for what's called volatile organic compounds or VOCs. So you should be looking for products that either don't have them or have them in a lower amount. And these are the ones that have been associated with breathing problems, allergic reactions, headaches, things like that. Other chemicals like we mentioned, bleach, um, sometimes mixing products with ammonia can also cause harmful fumes to be made and that can be dangerous. Okay, that makes sense. So bottom line here, how worried should we be about the cleaning products that we're using? Now, I think that it pays to be safe here. It's probably a good idea to use the EPA website to look for the safer choice requirements um, because it is something that we know there are many chemicals that are harmful and now we're finding more studies that show that the harm could actually accrue over time or get worse over time. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, that's right. The EPA has a database, a safer choice database of cleaning products that have different safety levels. Different safety levels. And then they also will have, an, they also have an area that show you um, how powerful and effective some of these products are against um, bacteria and viruses. So if you're looking for, if you know that some sort of bug has been going around your house, you can look on the website to see what is going to be an effective choice. That is a great resource. Uh, well, thank you so much, Dr. Pathak. This was great information. Thank you so much for having me. Happy cleaning. <laughs> Thanks again to Dr. Pathak for all that great information. What are some of the things you should use those cleaning products on? Think about these hotspots for germs around your house. They're easy to overlook, but they can get pretty dirty. How about your kitchen sink? It makes sense. You wash a lot of dirty things in it. To keep it clean, disinfect the sides and the bottom at least twice a week. And while you're in the area, what about your kitchen sponge? You think of it as clean, but everything it touches is dirty. Try to replace it every two weeks or so. If there's no metal in it, you can microwave it for one minute. Otherwise, soak it in a cleaning solution. And you may not have thought of this one, your coffee maker. Germs can thrive in the part that holds the water. Fill it with a few cups of vinegar and let it sit for 30 minutes and then turn the machine on and let the liquid cycle through. After that, do another cycle with just clean water. What about outside your house? You can't clean these things, but they are some of the dirtiest things you touch every day. Let's talk a little bit about public bathrooms. You already know the toilet probably isn't that clean, but those hand dryers may not be any better. A new study says they spread germs with every blast of air. You may be better off using paper towels instead. And the soap dispenser? Well, a lot of people go straight from the stall to it. So after you touch it, wash your hands for at least 20 seconds. Now it's time for our tweak of the week. This is one simple trick that you can try today to make your life healthier, happier, or better. 
This week's tweak is hug more, stress less. Listen, we get it. Life gets hectic, and it can be easy to forget to connect with people, even the ones who are most important to you, or, you know, right next to you. So try this at least once a day. Make a point to show your affection. Maybe it's hugging your partner or checking in with your best friend. Just this simple act can not only lower stress, it can actually prevent infections like the common cold. And a daily hug can model healthy relationships for your children. So try it this week and tell us how it makes you feel. Give us a shout on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And that's our show. Thanks so much to everyone for joining us for this episode of Health Now. Hope to see you next week. Mm-hmm.